the educated person is our consideration for today. Uh, everyone who has uh, a thorough knowledge of the Bible may truly be called educated. And no other learning, no matter how extensive or elegant, can form a proper substitute. I thoroughly believe in a university education for both men and women, but I believe knowledge of the Bible without a, cor a college course is more valuable than a college course without the Bible. And that's an amazing statement from William uh, Lyon Phelps, who is a uh, Yale English professor. Uh, very interesting as you look at those uh, Ivy League schools and look at the history of them, they all started out as seminaries. And that's, uh, you wouldn't expect that as you look at them today and a lot of the uh, things they espouse. And that's the case with a lot of the uh, colleges around the country. They started out as Bible schools or seminaries and have branched off into something else. Now, the pastor is very interesting, and that's just God working, I guess. He had no idea that I would be speaking on the subject that I'm speaking on today as we talk about the education of the grace believer. Uh, but that's the uh, consideration he came up with. So that segues perfectly into what we're going to look at here today. Um, and it is true that education is very important. And as you look out into the world, uh, you're not going to get very far in this world if you don't have education on certain matters. Now, it doesn't always have to be formal. Someone could have taught you something that's very useful for this world, and because you have that information and that knowledge, you're able to do that particular job. And that can be lucrative. That can help you to, to do whatever it is you need to do to finance your life and those things that you desire in this life. But what is the problem with focusing on education that relates strictly to this life? Well, what happens when you die? <laughs> Does that education serve you in your eternity that extends beyond this life? The education of this life is very limited to this life. And I want you to know, as the Bible says, this life is a vapor. You're here today, gone tomorrow. You're blessed if you live 90 years like Connie Wilkes lived. Uh, that's that's a, a long time in our terms, but as you look at 90 years with reference to how long this world has even been. That's a small fraction of the, the time that's been on this earth, right? And it's an even smaller fraction when you look out at God and understand that God has always existed and that he inhabits, as the scriptures say, eternity. We don't inhabit eternity. We inhabit these bodies that are subject to death and that have an expiration date on each one of them. And so as you think of education in the world, it doesn't seem that important. only seems important as it relates to this world. Now, education and instruction are seen in Scripture as having more importance. And we saw those uh, this morning when we looked at it. Go back over with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19. And he says there, actually verse uh, 20, excuse me, he says, But you have not so learned Christ. And so what does Paul say here? He contrasts the things that are going on with the unsaved people and the Gentiles and says, you have not learned Christ in this, be in this manner. Now, an important word there is learned because your learning comes through instruction and education. As we see in the next verse, he says, uh, 
if so be, and really there we're going to break it down, this is a fact, since it is that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And then he goes on to explain the deportment or what it looks like to actually live out uh, this life. And so what we want to do today is to look at the relationship of the believer to the education and instruction of God. And we will see that that results, it results in action that can be contrasted with that of the unsaved. The way that we are able to live out our life through the education that has been provided to us looks different to those people that are living their life for these things that are temporal. We'll also see that it results in the learning of the believer. You will see that we have at a point in time learned in Christ and those results carry over into how we're living now. And we will also see that it results in the provision of God, that God by his grace has provided instruction to us that is pertinent to our lives and how we live today. And so with that, let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful again uh, that you have given us so much by grace. You provided everything that we need to know uh, just in a little book. And those things that uh, we don't need to know uh, or, or can't know from scripture, the spirit is able to fill in those gaps. And so we pray that that we will be able to uh, take this information that's in your word uh, and live out lives that are, are better, uh, well-pleasing to you and, and that serve your purpose for us in these lives. And we will pray that in your son's name. Amen. Okay, and so the first point we want to look at, and again, this revolves around this context over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse uh, 20, is that there's a contrast of the former walk of the believers with the walk after the believer's education and after they've been saved. Uh, Go back with me over there and pick it up in verse 17. And so in chapter 4, he goes through all of this where he explained the, the spiritual gifts and he explained how the body of Christ is working together and all of these things. Then he comes to verse 17, and it seems like he's going in a different direction, right? He looks at all of these activities that are true of people that are unsaved, and he says, don't walk how they walk, how the Gentiles walk. Now, as you think about the Gentiles, I want you to know that he's clearly talking about unsaved people. Why do I say that? Because if you go over to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, what does it say? Well, don't listen to me. Let's, let's go read it. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse 28, a very appropriate context to where we are today in our society, where people are making distinctions on the basis of outward appearance, or people are making distinctions based on the status of individuals. And Paul, this, this should not be of the church. Paul has settled this discussion right here in Scripture in chapter 28. Or chapter 28, verse 28. Pick it up in verse uh, 26. He says, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. What does that mean to put on Christ? That means you've put him on as an outward garment, and what people should see should no longer be you. People should not see me and my activities, people should not see you in your activities. Who you're characterized as should be Christ and that outward manifestation of his life and his actions. It's not that you put on some kind of a a mask and you suddenly look like Christ, as we don't know what he looked like, right? 
but it's that your activities and those things that you live out should display the life of Christ. In verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And so if people are seeing a different representation of us, then our, our, our distinction or what we look like to the world, then it's because we're living in the flesh and we're not living as who we are in Christ. So as you go back over to chapter four of Ephesians in verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity or the uselessness of their minds. You see, all of unsaved people at this time, he was talking about the Gentiles and, and, and we can compare them, as we said over there, to the unsaved. They're walking according to the things of this world. We see in Ephesians chapter two that they are dictated by these mature sons as to what they should be thinking. And they're all based on the things that are going on in this world system. Right. How do I get the education I need so that I can get the job that I need so that I can get the money I need so that I can buy the things that I need? That's what every everyone's mind is on continually. Right. You've got friends in the world and you know that this is their focus. Right. And so that's that's the mind of a a person that's unsaved. And why is that useless? Because it doesn't extend again beyond this life. Let's say you attain everything. Let's say you have the riches of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or any of these other filthy rich people. What good is that money going to serve you if you die? You can't stop your death. Money is not going to stop you from being able to die. You might be able to live a better quality of life. But this is, again, as we've stated, a short life. And so walk not as the Gentiles walk. This word for walk has the idea of your conduct and the ordered manner of life that you have, your day to day uh, walking and what you're doing and carrying out your uh, individual purpose. And this is characterized of the Gentiles as being useless and the uselessness of their minds. We also see uh, that there's a darkness to it. Let me read further and we'll come back and break these down. He says uh, in verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. So we, we see four or three or four different things here that are stated concerning the Gentiles that are a problem. We've already talked the use, uh, about the uselessness of their minds, but in verse 18, we see that they have a darkened thought process. This idea of having uh, uh, understanding darkened. They can't even put together those things spiritually that they should understand because the thoughts that go through their mind don't even relate to spiritual things. And so this is a problem. We also see that the, they are alienated, uh, this word for being estranged or separated from the life of God. So if you could even provide light to them, you can't because they're separated from the life of God. And the life of God is what provides us our light. And so they are estranged or separated from that. And so be, uh, uh, this separation or estrangement comes from 
or through the possessed ignorance. They have an ignorance concerning the things of God. Their heart, even further, is hardened. This idea of having a, a, a blindness of the heart is not really the word for blindness. It's our word for being hardened, porosis. And so think of it like uh, I talked about in, in uh, Monday night last week. If, if you were to cut yourself in the same place over and over again, or you poked yourself in, in the same place over and over again, what happens to that, that tissue on your body? It becomes hard. So you don't feel in that spot like you used to feel. The first time you might have poked yourself, it, it hurt a little bit, right? But the more you keep poking yourself in that same spot, you don't feel anymore. And that's what this word has the idea of. They, they, they're past feeling. And that's a decent translation of that, that word. And so uh, the heart is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so as you think of, of these uh, individuals, they're not able to feel or understand in that way. And the hardness is seen as an impediment uh, to the faith of Israel. Go with me over to uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 28, just to give you uh, a sample of this word for porosis. It's kind of seen as blindness here, too. But it's blindness in that it impedes this individual from knowing the things of God that they would uh, otherwise be able to know. Uh, Romans chapter 11, and I didn't put it in your notes, it didn't come across there, but Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. And we see this mystery concerning the blindness of Israel. So if you went back into the context in chapter 9, you would see that Paul has this desire and want to see Israel saved as a nation. Why? Because he's an Israelite and he, he cares for these people. But he understands that God is working something different at this point in time. And so he, he allows for the fact that right now God is allowing Gentiles to be saved as well. And we can see that all in the context here, even if you went back to the first part of chapter 11. But the, the question that might arise is, is God done with Israel? And he's saying, no, that is not the case. So as he comes to chapter 24 or verse 24, he says, for if thou wert cut, and he's speaking to those that are not part of Israel out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to the nature into a good olive tree. How much more these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. For I would not, uh, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness or hardness. Here's our word for porosis. In part, it's happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so we see uh, right now we're living in this dispensation of grace. And I don't want to go too, too deeply into this. But we understand that God has brought Gentiles and Jews into one thing. And so when a Jew becomes saved, he loses that distinctiveness of being called a Jew. He's part of the body of Christ. But God is going to fulfill his promises to Israel. And at the end of this dispensation, those things will start to happen and be carried out. And so there's there's a future plan and purpose for Israel. Uh, but at this time, those that aren't elect of Israel are what? They're hardened. They don't believe the facts of the gospel and don't believe the work of Christ. Uh, we also see that there's a callousness, and, and this is a different word for uh, uh, this hardness as it relates back over in Ephesians chapter 4 of the Gentiles. 
Ephesians chapter 4, and this one's in uh, verse 19. And so they have this hardness of heart, but they also have this inability uh, to feel. And I kind of mix those two up. I apologize. Uh, But this is the word for callousness in verse 19. He said, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness. And so this callousness that they have has caused this this lasciviousness or or not caring for the actions that they are performing in the flesh. Uh, This word has the idea of the lack of physical or mental sensibility from an individual. Spiritually speaking, it refers to the inability of an individual to sense his or her spiritual lack leading to inhibited self-indulgence. And so as you look at these persons that are are performing and behaving in this way, they have no sense of anything that they're doing is wrong. And I've said concerning unsaved people before, and all of us were in this ballpark prior to being saved, that we are only limited by those things that we've been told are right and wrong, right? And so if someone raised me as an unsaved person to think it's wrong to murder, I might have a hard time going out and murdering somebody. It's not always going to stop me, right? Because you see people who have been raised very well within a family, and yet they, they turn into murderers. But the, the limit of, of just your conscience and being able to say, eh, I don't know that I could do that certain thing, is all you have as an unsaved person. As a believer, we have much more to stop us. Now, if you get to the point where you're callous and you're past feeling, whatever makes you feel good is what you're going to do. And that's what he's saying of these individuals here in verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to what? Lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. That word for greediness is really our words for covetousness. And so the idea of of uh, the continual desire for more. There's nothing that's going to satisfy this, this need uh, to their individual flesh. And so this is what the picture that, that Paul paints of what we should not walk as. And because of what we've learned, we have the ability not to walk this way. So as you get to verse uh, 20, he says, but this strong contrary, strong, strong contrast to what he said before. But you have not so learned the Christ. You don't see that little invisible article that's there. It's not just Christ, but the Christ. And we're going to tell you why that's important here in just a second. We see the believers learning is unlike the unrighteous acts of unsaved men. Uh, And so he says, but you all, let's break down this verse of verse 20. You all, he's speaking to all the Ephesian saints that he's writing to here. And so speaking contrary or in contrast to what he said uh, concerning the Gentiles. And so he says, you have not so that word for so means in this manner, the manner of which they're conducting themselves is not the manner that you've learned Christ. And then he says, not at any time you never learned Christ in this way. This word for learn is in the aorist uh, 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 mood, in her mood. <laughs> Boy, I'm losing my Greek here. It's in the aorist, and it has the idea of an action that's at a point in time. And with that negative there, it's negating it ever being a possibility. You never learn Christ in this way. And so the learning of the Ephesian saints did not include the activities displayed by the Gentiles. 
And so I also pointed out that this article is very important when you look at Christ. And so he says, you have not learned the Christ in this manner. Now, why do I say that that article is important? Because we don't see Christ mentioned prior to this. So if he's using that uh, article, it's not saying the Christ that I was talking about back here. This is an important thing. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. And we might get some clues as to what he's talking about. And interestingly enough, it's another context where we see these spiritual gifts spoken about, spoken about. And the unity that's in the body of Christ. And so as he talks about the gifts in verses one through ten, he then comes into verses 11 and 12 and talks about the origin or where those gifts are coming from and the unity that's provided uh, in the functionality of these gifts. In verse uh, 11, he says, but all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And so every man that has a spiritual gift that's working out that spiritual gift, it's not coming from a different spirit. It's the one and selfsame spirit that's causing you to operate in your spiritual gift. And in this day and time, whether you have the gift of pastor teacher, whether you have the gift of helps, whether you have the gift of faith, whatever your spiritual gift is, it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you to work and act in that spiritual gift. In verse 12, he says, for as the body is one. And hath many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body. So as you look at this body, I know this is a short one, a small one that's standing up here before you, but it has many different parts to it, right? I have a mouth that's talking right now. I have a head and a brain that's theoretically telling my mouth what to say, right? And I have hands that are making all kinds of motions as I'm up here speaking. And these are different parts of my body. But nobody's saying this is a body and this is a body and this is a body. They're all part of my body. And that's the same for everybody. And so as he's comparing that, he's comparing that to the body of Christ. There are many different persons within the body of Christ. And we all have different spiritual gifts. Some of ours might be the same, but they're unique to the individual and how God is working them through the Holy Spirit. But they're all part of the same body. And that's that's how that works. He says, being many are one body. So also is Christ. But what you don't see there in the English is there's that little bitty article there in front of Christ there too, the Christ. And so what can we extrapolate from this? We can say that the body of Christ is this corporate body made up of many believers with Christ at the head. And this is what he's talking about back here in Ephesians chapter four. And so why is it important, this little article? Because you have not so learned Christ is you have not so learned this body or this entity uh, that is spoken about over there. And so as you uh, look at it, it's the corporate body of believers that constitute the body of Christ. All of the, those within the body of Christ possess the ability to outward, outwardly display the life of Christ through our shared position. So as we're living it out, as we're reckoning who we are in Christ, who are we? We're, we're seated at the right hand of God in Christ. And we have a lot of different things that come as a result of living in that position, right? And that we share as a result of being in that position. That when God the Father looks to his right hand, he sees us 
is seated at his right hand in Christ. And at any point in time during the day, if your mind wanders around to something else, you can always bring it back to that. If anyone ever says anything negative about you, you can always bring it back to that. Yes, people might think this or that of me, but God sees me as seated at his right hand in Christ. And as we're living that out, these things become uh, true or a fact concerning us. The actions of uh, displayed by those who have learned Christ are in contrast with those of the Gentiles. So what can we look back at that he said and be able to draw a conclusion that we have not so learned the Christ in this way as he was speaking to the Ephesians there? Well, we saw that the Gentiles have a useless mind, but we as believers have a quality of the mind of Christ. Now, I say quality because you don't have the mind of Christ like the scripture says. You have a, a, a piece or access to the mind of Christ. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. And we see this in contrast with uh, verse 17 of Ephesians and how the Gentiles were walking. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. And we'll be uh, back here a couple other times because there's other important pieces that relate to what we're talking about here today. But pick it up in verse uh, 15. He says, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, in contrast here again, have the mind of Christ. And really there, that article is not there in the Greek. It's just a quality of the mind of Christ. If we had the mind of Christ, Christ's mind would literally be in all of us. But we have access uh, to his mind and to be able to see things like he does. Uh, so we see the unsaved person's mind is useless and focused on useless things. But our minds can be focused on the things of God because we have a quality of the mind of Christ. We also see that it said over there in Ephesians chapter 4, that the unsaved man's process of thought is darkened. But we see in the same book, in Ephesians chapter 1, that the enlightening of the believer, uh, you see the enlightening of their thought process. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. He says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I had heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making a mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, and there's our word for thought process, that dianoia, being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so we don't have darkened minds. We have thought processes that are enlightened and illuminated to see what God has done for us and what God desires to be done for us in the present and unto the future. And so their thought process is darkened, ours is lightened. You see also that the unsaved person or the Gentile is alienated from the life of God. But the believer has been reconciled. Go with me over to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. 
Now, have you know the uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians are sister books. They were written at the same time uh, to different people. So you'll see a lot of similarities between these two books. Uh, but here, uh, this idea that uh, we used to be alienated, but when we believe the facts of the gospel, what happened? We were reconciled uh, to God. And so that's an amazing thing uh, that's stated here. And pick it up in verse 20. Oh, back even a little further. Pick it up in verse 17. And he says, and he is before all things, speaking of Christ, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is uh, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, uh, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he hath what? Reconciled. And so we were counting God as an enemy. We didn't want anything to do with him prior to our salvation. And we were alienated or separated from the life that he provides, just like the Gentiles, as he states over there in chapter four. But now we have been reconciled to him in verse uh, 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 chapter five of, of Romans. In verse one, he says, now we have access directly to the father. We're not alienated from him. We're not separated from him. And there's a very important uh, activity or event that happened right after the Lord was crucified that signified that the way to him had been opened up. Care to imagine what that is? There you go, Brother Scott. There you go, you got it. So there was a, a big giant curtain that separated anybody from being able to go into that throne room. And that's what that was representative of, that place, the holiest of holies, where only the high priest could go. And that veil was torn in in two because the place or the access to God had now been granted. And we that were separated from him now have access to him. Before that, anybody else goes back there but the high priest. And I I don't like your chances of surviving. (laughs) But he made that, that place able to be accessed by all. And so we can go boldly, as it says in Scripture, to the throne of grace. Um, we also see that the Gentile is callous, where the believer is able to be governed by the Spirit. Go with me over to chapter 4 of Ephesians. And we see this callousness we saw in verse 19, but in verse 30, we see that uh, the Holy Spirit is able to actually direct where we're going. And so, uh, we're doing anything too many times as far as sin, even one time, the Holy Spirit's going to tap you on the shoulder. Say, hey, what are you doing there? It's not a good idea. And we're going to keep on going down that road. We can get to where we drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit, but that's where God's going to come in and, and act with us. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 12? Those whom the Lord loves, he, he chastens. And so the Corinthian saints have gotten to that point, right? As we take communion and and look at some of the things that happened to them, they gotten to the point where they were totally ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. And what had to happen? God had to step in and say, well, 
we're going to have to to have a little talk and and get you back in line. Uh, but that's the point of the the child training that we see there. Pick it up in verse twenty nine. He says, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers." And this this idea of grieve not, we've talked about this before. You don't really see it in the English, but anytime you you can kind of use the the words that are there in the English to understand it. When it says grieve not, you see the the verb and then this not. In the in the Greek, he's calling for an action that's ongoing to be interrupted. And so he's really saying, stop grieving. This is something that you're doing. Cut it out. Stop it. He says in verse 30, stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God, whereby or by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, and so he goes on to explain the actions that cause uh, cause that grieving. And so when we continue on in these actions that might uh, uh, characterize how the Gentiles will walk, the Holy Spirit is going to be grieved at it. And he's going to let us know in our life. You ever been doing something? And I don't want to get too far <laughs> into what everyone does, but you ever done something and, and it just doesn't sit right with you? And you say, man, I, I did that. I probably shouldn't have done that. Well, I want you to know it's probably not of you. Probably the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need to get this thing right. I know I've done many a thing where I said, boy, I, I shouldn't have done that at all. And it caused me to come back and confess what I had done. And that's where the Holy Spirit is picking up in the life of the individual. But we see that the the unsaved person in verse 19, who's given themselves over, is just going to continue to go on in this, this activity, right? They're going to be callous to where they don't even feel it. <laughs> they just want to do what they want to do to make themselves feel good. And it doesn't matter to anybody or, or how that affects anybody else. And so he, they translate it to be past feeling. We also see that the Ephesians learning was comparable uh, to any believers. Um, as you look at these Ephesian saints, um, we see in verse 21, he says, since it is um, and this idea that you have heard him, you heard him at a point in time and have been taught by him as is the truth in Jesus. So what we see is uh, the learning of these individual believers. Um, and sorry, that's back to verse 20 and, and looking at our word for learn. Uh, he says, but you have not so learned or, or learned uh, the Christ in this manner. Now, this word for learning is used several times to show different uh, activities and things that uh, are bared out as a result of the believers learning. And we see over in Philippians chapter four and verse nine that learning uh, can come uh, by way of watching other believers living out the proper example. Now, this is one that's popular, I think, for believers, right? We want to watch somebody else or, or put someone else up to be our object lesson rather than reading scripture a lot of times. And that's OK as long as that person is matching up with what they're supposed to look like. The problem comes into play is a lot of times we like to put people up on these pedestals and then stop ignoring what scripture has to say. And then this person does something that's out of line. And then our our spiritual life is wrecked. Right. Because everything we're doing is put into that individual. And I want to warn everybody against this. Be it me, be it the pastor. We are all men and we are all fallible. And anybody else you might listen to. If they're not matching up with the word of God in their their activity and in the things that they're saying, 
then you should not be following that individual. And Paul says it here. You follow me as much as I match up with with Christ and with the way that I should be living. Uh, And we see that here Uh, again. Philippians chapter four in verse nine. Some of you might have beat me there. He says in verse eight, well, let's go back just a little bit in verse six. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication after Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace from God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through uh, Christ or really they're in Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Uh, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So, He's he's given you a, 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 a very clear view at what it looks like to actually uh, be living this life out in the in the right way. And so he says, whatsoever things. And he goes down this long of list, long list of things. And if those things are, are true and apparent in his life, then you you can actually look to him as an example. But if you see that those things aren't aren't matching up, then you probably shouldn't be looking to him. Uh, in this case with Paul, I think most of the time they matched up. In verse 10, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last of your care of me have flourished again, wherein you also had care or were careful, but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state that I am in therewith to be content. So you see two, two uh, uses of this idea of learn in verse 9. Uh, and verse 10, but in verse nine, we see these these different things uh, spoken of uh, by Paul. And we'll get back around to those. I don't want to go too de- deeply into it here, uh, but just to look at uh, this idea of learning. We also see that the learning of the believer provides an opportunity for spiritual maturity. Go with me over to First uh, Timothy, chapter two and verse eleven. First Timothy chapter two and verse 11. And here he's speaking uh, individually to uh, the women. And he says in verse. uh, Pick it up in verse nine. Well, verse eight, he says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner. Also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with the broiding of hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, I want to caution the women here, and I know women here don't have this issue, but (laughs) Some places people will say, well, women shouldn't be wearing earrings or (laughs) women shouldn't be wearing any necklaces or they shouldn't be doing their hair up and these kind of things. I want to submit to you that it it shouldn't be the focus of who you are over your relationship with Christ. 
He's not saying that that you do these things and you're you're sinning or anything like that. He's saying that these things shouldn't take the place of your relationship with God. And this shouldn't become the importance of who you are. In verse 10, but which that which becometh women professing godliness uh, with good works. In verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And so this idea of learning here uh, is the learning actually uh, pertinent to to this uh, to scripture uh, in verse 12. But I suffer a woman not to teach nor to usurp authority over a man, uh, but to be in silence or, or really there the man uh, for verse 13. Adam was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And so uh, you understand here that the learning of the woman is at view uh, and it should be in silence. And again, uh, this is not saying that a woman shouldn't talk. And a lot of people go way overboard with these verses and make laws of of how things should be conducted uh, when that's not what Scripture is trying to say. Uh, again, this word for uh, silence here is to cease and desist from fighting for position or place. The idea of agitation. So a woman shouldn't be combative in the way when she's trying to learn uh, those things concerning scripture. And really, I would say that extends to men as well. Uh, but we also see over in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 that the learning of a believer should not be unfruitful. Second Timothy chapter 3. In verse 7. So he speaks of um, really here as you look at uh, chapter 1 or verse 1 of chapter 3. A lot of people like to come to this verse and say that these are the last days of the world. Or if these are the last days of the world, we've been in the last days for a long time, right? I think this is speaking more to the last days of the church. And these uh, these activities that you see have been apparent in the world for a long time. Uh, but as you look at the last days of the church, these things happening within the church are, are something that would shock you a little bit more. In verse 1, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. So on the outside, it looks like they're godly, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers or various lusts, ever learning and never able to come to uh, really there this word for knowledge, a full experiential knowledge of the truth. And so uh, if you've been around long enough, we know that there are several levels to knowledge that are depicted in Scripture. You can know the facts about something, right? And you just have a head knowledge. You might know some things about it, but you don't really know how to do it. Then you can have an experiential knowledge where you learn certain things and you've been able to put these into practice. So you know a little bit more about them. 
but a full experiential knowledge is, is kind of a mastery of that individual subject. And so here you see they're ever learning, always learning, but not ever able to come to a full experiential knowledge of the truth. And I believe that truth there, we don't have time to break it down, but refers to uh, the truth about how to overcome your spiritual, uh, or excuse me, your, uh, your flesh. And so they don't have that understanding. Uh, you could really cite there if you wanted to, uh, uh, John chapter 8 and verse 44 as the Lord breaks down uh, that truth. Uh, we also see in verse 14 of this same chapter that the learning of the believer is useful for the present. Uh, and so uh, scan down just a few verses. Uh, in verse 12, he says, Yea, and all that will or desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue uh, thou in the things which thou hast learned or learned at a point in time and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And so he's telling you to continue on in the actions and activities of those things that you've learned uh, regarding the spiritual life. Uh, and again, we'll continue to develop uh, this this uh, information. Boy, I didn't know I had so much. <laughs> Titus 3, we see that the learning of the believer can involve maintenance of good works. And we're going to have to move here, so we're not going to go to all of these. Uh, the learning of the believer can be compared to the learning of Christ and his human experience in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. But to surmise it all or, or kind of summarize it all in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20, we see that the learning of the Ephesian saints is seen as a process that began at salvation. And continues at the present because you uh, were given a place and a position in Christ. There are things that are inherent of you that you have learned or, or, or know to be true when you live out who you are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is able to teach you these things in real time. Um, it's almost like you've been given all things, as scripture has said. And those things are born out in your life as you're living out this life in the way that you're supposed to and wrapping your mind around who you are in Christ. Uh, we'll never be able to understand the depths of what we've been given in Christ. Not in this life, but um, he's given us so much. And we'll, we'll be able to uh, realize some of that as we're living out who we should, should be in Christ. Now, the instruction uh, in Christ is also seen. So in verse 20, we saw the learning of the believer. In verse 21, we see the instruction back in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 <coughs> that has been provided. And so, uh, but you in verse 20 have not so learned the Christ since it is that you have been, you have heard him and have been taught by him. Now, uh, I don't know about a lot of you guys, but... <laughs> My dad said I peaked when I was in the second grade. <laughs> and so <laughs> with this in school, he says that was the max of when I was interested in learning. <laughs> and after that, I put it on cruise control the rest of the way. That's we we give each other all kinds of grief all the time. Uh, but your learning in school is very important. And how do you learn? Can you learn with just sitting in class and not listening? If you can, you're, you're something unique to the world because I think it takes hearing information to be able to learn, right? And so an important thing that he cites there in verse 21 is they heard at a point in time and they were instructed at a point in time. And so the instruction of the believer involves hearing. 
This idea of hearing we saw over in Philippians chapter 4 where he talked about learning, receiving, and hearing, uh, and actually seeing as well. Uh, We don't have time to go back there, but if you want to on your own time, you can go back and look at those individual words that related to that. And the important piece of that is that receiving because it means to receive alongside of something else. Uh, To receive uh, uh, with instruction implies that the reception of information or applicable activity from another through a provided example. And so as you look back and think back to uh, Philippians chapter 4, who was that example? It was Paul. He had played out and displayed these things before them. And because he had taught them scripture and he was showing them the proper example, they could look and see and be able to match up what was correct and what was true. And so it's a very important part of their learning. Uh, We also see that their uh, hearing occurred at a point in time in verse 21 of chapter 4. And so the hearing of the Ephesians continues to contrast the Gentiles. And so they had not heard these things from the Gentiles and these, these bad activities of what they were doing that had nothing to do with their learning. The hearing results from salvation. Go back with me over to Romans chapter 10 and verse uh, 17. So we can put this forward, this piece. Romans chapter 10. Um, pick it up in pick it up in verse uh, 12 he says for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard and how shall they hear uh, without a preacher And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they that they have not uh, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you understand without being able to hear and, and, and uh, believe the facts of the gospel, you would not be saved. And there's, there's faith that uh, plays into that. Uh, but as you're looking back over to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21, you understand that hearing uh, re- relates to their salvation. And then hearing um, is viewed as, as factual by Paul. And so it's not just if, like it says in the text, as you go back to chapter 4 and verse 21, uh, you can infer uh, that it's sense. There's a this word for hearing is in what's called the indicative mood, and it's with this uh, Greek uh, particle I, and so it gives the idea of not if but since. There will be a condition if it were in in a further condition than this one, but this is what you call a first class condition. So you can say since you have heard, and the uh, provided particle uh, ge also drives it further. It says, since indeed you have heard. And so there's but no doubt that they've heard it, uh, even as as is the truth in Jesus Christ. And so the instruction of the believer involves also taught practical doctrine. And so as you look to uh, what they've been taught, uh, it breaks down uh, here as well. I'm trying to move pretty quickly. Uh, But this word for didasco 
that we see as we go back over to Ephesians chapter 21, uh, this word for taught. And so there are a couple words for being taught in the Greek. One has an idea of teaching information that is not necessarily for practice. And so there's a lot of times you can be taught things in life just for your knowledge, right? And you don't necessarily need to know these things to be able to do what it is that you need to do. But then there's times where you're taught information that uh, directly relates or correlates to what it is that you need to do. And this is a word that directly correlates with what, what it is that we need to do as far as living. And so this, this uh, word is teaching or instruction from one in a position warranting attention that should be utilized in a practical manner. And so as you think of this teaching, God is not just teaching these things just for you to fill your head with knowledge, right? I might learn another language just because I want to know a language, right? doesn't have any practicality to anything that I do in America when most of the people speak English, right? I just want to have that information in my head. But there's, if I were to go to another country where they speak that language, then that becomes very practical, right? I can use that language where it is that I'm going. And I would need to pay attention to the person that's teaching me that language. And so this is what this has the idea of. Um, Again, this word for teaching is in the passive meaning that the Ephesians were taught by someone else. Uh, and it's in the aorist. It means it's in, at a point in time action. And uh, they give or Paul cites Jesus as the instrument of that instruction. And so this is accounting for the salvation of the Ephesians and looking back to the truth that is in Christ. As the Ephesians live in their position uh, in Christ, this, this becomes true. And so as they're living out the facts of who they are, these things become evident with them. The last thing we want to look at is the, the teaching uh, that is seen in Scripture, and we see this in a few different places. I warned you that we might go back to 1 Corinthians. Go back with me there. Now, the fact is that the active teacher in your salvation is the Holy Spirit, and we see this from Scripture. The where you see one person of the Godhead active, and I know you guys have probably heard this before, the other two are also at work. And so there's never a time where they're acting in, uh, independent of each other completely. There's going to be one that's mainly doing something, and the other two are, are at work also. So the Son has provided this for us through what he's done in his work. God the Father has made the plan that allowed for that work to be possible, and it's usually the Holy Spirit that's making that work active in your life. And so as we look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, we see this uh, with the teaching. In verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit which is out from God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so uh, here's the truth and here's the fact. You can't understand a word of God's word without the Holy Spirit making these things clear and evident to you. I can get up here and be the most eloquent speaker that you've ever heard. And if the Holy Spirit is not active in taking that information and making it pertinent to you, you're not going to understand it. There's a lot of scientists, and we, we often joke about this, that are uh, very well versed in Scripture. 
and can cite to you scripture probably better than I can. But do they know what this word really says? Probably not, (laughs) depending on if they're saved or not. I don't know. I'm not going to call out everyone, but we see it's the Holy Spirit that that is the ultimate and divine teacher. Now, practically, uh, there's teaching and results that we see in Scripture. Uh, Paul said over in Galatians chapter one and verse 12 that he was directly taught by revelation of Jesus Christ. We won't go there, uh, but uh, note that one uh, or keep that one in your mind. Paul also advised the Colossian saints not to walk in Christ as they had before they had been taught. And so at a point in time, they were taught. He says, don't go back to walking how you used to walk. And again, he gives the examples or the character that summarized or, or, or comprised that uh, former walk. Also over in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul advised the Thessalonian saints to grasp the traditions that they were taught. And so you see that. Uh, there in Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse fifteen. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch upon as we look at the origin of teaching. Again, we can use this verse here in First uh, Corinthians chapter two to show that the Holy Spirit is the divine teacher. But we also see that the grace of God teaches us uh, over in Titus chapter two and verse twelve. <coughs> Excuse me. Go with me over there. Now, this is a different word uh, than our word for teaching. This word relates more to what we call uh, child training and is more similar to the word that you find in Hebrews uh, that's translated chastening. Uh, And so I I think it's a very dangerous thing to translate a word and just say that it's this way across the board. Uh, You have to look at the context of what's being said. And so this word for child training doesn't always mean that God is is punishing you for something. Right. If you have children and you brought up children, you can't spank the children every time they do anything. Right. You're going to to show them what they've done here. And sometimes you just say, hey, this is a better way. Right. I often cited it or, or compared it to if a child picks up a knife, you don't want to say, hey, <laughs> put that down. Well, what might happen? They might cut themselves from from being uh, fearful. You have to just come over and calmly tell them, hey, let me have that. Give them something else here, but play with this. Right. And so that's that's training. All that's involved in training is not punishment. I look at it a lot with uh, jobs and, and people in jobs. The worst tyrants are the ones that are always looking to punish their employees and not looking to teach them in, in certain situations. People learn more by by teaching and being able to be given examples. Uh, and we see that. Go with me uh, to pick it up in verse um, 11 of chapter 2 of Titus. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. There is a lot wrong textually with this verse and a lot of uh, variance in what it actually says here. Uh, but we'll just go with the reading there. Uh, I didn't do the textual criticism to see which is the right reading but he says for the grace of God that brings salvation uh, appeared to all men Uh, and and really this uh, you could say the grace of God uh, as the saving kind of grace uh, appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously godly 
or and godly in this present uh, evil age, or uh, not the word for world there, but the word for age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself on behalf of us that he might redeem us from all uh, iniquity. That word for iniquity is really lawlessness and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. Uh, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man desi- despise thee. But our word in verse 12 there for teaching is our word for ch- uh, child training. And so what does the grace of God do? It instructs us or, or gives us object lessons in, in, in godliness and in what it really looks like to live out this life in the way that we're supposed to. And so as we think back to those things that we have in Christ by grace, and we live that out in real time and allow the Holy Spirit to direct our steps, we're really living out godliness. God's quality of life is really seen out through human flesh, which is what godliness is. It's a fact already that you have the indwelling persons of the Godhead, all three of them, especially the Son. And as we're living out that life and reckoning who we are in Christ, that's able to be seen through you. Not always going to happen. When we prioritize what's uh, in our flesh and those things that we desire, you're not going to see out that life. You're going to see Courtney, <laughs> what Courtney looks like. And that's not always a pretty picture. Maybe not, not ever a pretty picture. I don't know. Ask my wife. <laughs> but, but you do see that when we're living out this life in the way that we're supposed to, it's beautiful. It's reflecting the life of Christ. You see the the parts of the fruit of the spirit displayed through each person that lives it out. And that's godliness. So we've been taught, we see through scripture, uh, uh, not just in the person of who we are in Christ. That's evident. Uh, These things are factual and evident from or for us through the time that we're saved. But as we have the opportunity to live these things out in real time and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us, you're able to see it in real life and able to see things that might have been dormant in an individual if he were living out uh, this life in the flesh, but are very evident in the individual as he's living them out in Christ. Uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and uh, grateful for all of the things that have, have been provided to us by grace. Grateful for the work of your son, uh, Jesus, and, and how effective that is when we'll allow it to be uh, uh, seen out through our lives and that you're able to get the glory for it. We pray that as we uh, go out into our week that we would uh, have a mind framed on on being ones that are uh, displaying that life so that there are any uh, that potentially could believe uh, might be able to see uh, your son and believe. We pray that, uh, uh, again, for all of those needs that are out there uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray for this country, Father, and uh, uh, things that revolve around elections and uh, changes in the world. We just pray that, again, us as believers ultimately will be able to live out this life in a way that glorifies you and that that would not be impeded by anything that's done uh, government-wise. We are grateful for all these things, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.